One of the things that I try to do uh, as, as sort of the leader of, of just pointing us to the word, setting up these tables, is I try to think about, you know, what's going on in our, in our people, in our church fam, right? Like, what are the things that we're hearing from CG leaders, from you as members, or, or as I'm at Common Grounds, or, or at a coffee shop, and I'm talking to one of you on campus, what are the things I'm hearing? And, and really, this semester so far, more than ever, I, I've heard so many students who are talking about a struggle with depression, uh, and, and really, that, that's such a wide scale of what that word even means. We're going to unpack that together. Uh, but the most important thing tonight is that we're going to be in the word. You can see on the screen behind me, we're in Psalm 77. So I hope you'll turn there in your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, it, it couldn't be easier. It's in the very middle. It's this big book called the Psalms. And literally the very middle of that book is Psalm 77. So maybe you could even say this is the center point of the entire Bible. And it's an entire chapter out of a prayer journal about someone who's struggling with depression. So I don't know if you know some of these things, but depression is the most common health problem in college students. Like that's not my you know, analysis, that comes from like medical study, that the most common medical issue for college students is depression. And actually that 39%, this is, comes from a study just two years ago, 39% of college students felt so depressed that it was difficult to function at times at least once during the school year. And then you come to 2020 and it's like we have this pandemic, right? And, and we have isolation and we have, we have forced quarantine. I, I talked to a student, uh, Tate Matthews. Are you here somewhere, right? Tate Matthews, he like just busted out today, right? Everybody, some people know Tate, yeah. He busted out like an hour ago from quarantine. Don't worry, he didn't have it. He was just, you know, on the, you know, it's like, and your whole life is just in this room. And did you know in, uh, in, in 20, uh, 2020, three and a half times more people, right? Three and a half times more people are struggling with symptoms of depression this year, according to the, stat, to the, to the data that they've been looking at. So I wanna do a little bit of an illustration because maybe you're thinking, I don't struggle with, with depression, but, but I want you to just understand what 40% of room looks like. So everybody's at tables tonight, so at your table, I want you to do a little bit of math and figure out what is half of the people at your table, and then maybe go one less person than half, and I want those people to stand up. So one less person than half of your table, I wanna just stand up. It can be any of you. So one less person than half, I want you to stand up. Good job, everyone's clapping for you. Okay, everybody, now that you've figured it out, stay standing. This is the visual illustration of what it means for 40% of college students to be struggling heavily with depression. So if you're not struggling, that means that someone around you is. And that is an important thing to realize, that God has called you either in this season yourself to, to, be, to be wrestling with this. Maybe it's a time where God's trying to minister to you, or maybe it's a time where God's trying to use you to minister to someone else. You can take a seat. Billy Graham has a quote. He's, a, he's an old preacher who, who got literally millions of people were saved at Billy Graham revival rallies. And he said this, that most people yearn for one thing more than anything else, inner peace. Without it, they have no lasting happiness or security. Inner peace is that one thing. If you're taking notes tonight, I'd encourage you to write that down, that that inner peace is the one thing that we're all looking for. And it's important to note, while we talk about depression, what I mean and what I don't mean tonight, because we're gonna talk about, as the slide says behind me, some biblical prescriptions for depression. So what does that mean? What does it mean? Because really, the idea of depression, the struggle with depression, it's a moving target. Like, for, if you polled all 40% of college students who are, who are struggling with depression, you'd have all different kinds of varying forms. And, and even as you clinically diagnose some of these things, some of them are more severe, and some of them are more circumstantial. 
right? Some of them require things like medication and intensive counseling, and others of them just require some, some habit changes or some disciplines or, or some circumstantial changes, right? Some of them, the cause is a chemical imbalance. Some of them, the cause is sin, right? And so there's, it's this moving, you know, kind of target. And so what we're really talking about tonight is, is specifically that sort of circumstantial depression. And I, and I am also talking about se- the severe forms of depression, too. I think there are some biblical prescriptions for that. But, but it isn't sort of the fullness of it. Like the Bible isn't going to replace your medication. It's not going to replace your counseling. But for many of us, what, what we talk about when we're talking about depression is this sort of circumstantial, situational issue, not necessarily a chemical imbalance, although that does exist. And so just like sometimes someone needs to take heart medicine to regulate their imbalance in their heart, sometimes you have to take medication to, to regulate you know, this issue that's going on chemically in your mind. I have close family members who, who do that every single day, and it helps them so much. And so here's the thing, though. I'm not a, a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a pastor, right? And so my job tonight is to bring you to the Word and to say this is what I see from the Word. Uh, I'm certainly not dismissing any of those other things I've said, so I want to make that really clear out of the gate. But what does the Word say if we fix our eyes on it, if we're looking for this heavenly prescription from the Lord for those situational and circumstantial types of depression And so what we're really talking about is what do the symptoms look like? You may be asking yourself tonight, have I really experienced depression this last six months or or in the last six years? Have I experienced this type of depression? Sometimes it can be difficult to to sort of analyze or or diagnose yourself. You know, I think a major depressive episode is easy to identify, but these circumstantial, situational depression kind of seasons of life that sometimes can last even two, three, four years, or maybe it's just beginning, are are a lot more difficult to to diagnose. And so what are some of these symptoms? So we're going to see from the word in Psalm 77 some of these symptoms, uh, which, which I'd like to look at in just a second. But before we do, there's, there's this group called the American Psychiatric Association, the APA. If you're studying psychology, you've probably heard of this, and you've probably specifically heard about their diagnostic manual, which is called Diagnostics and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. The short form is dsm 4 so they had a DSM-1, a DSM-2, 3, and now they have a 4, and they updated all these sort of mental health disorders and, and ways uh, that you can sort of counsel people through what are some of the remedies, what are some of the symptoms. It's sort of like the psychiatric Bible, right? And, and here's, here's what they would say. They would say, here are some symptoms. If we're talking about symptoms, if you're thinking about your own heart tonight, is this me or is this someone I know in my life? Some of the things they say, you might have poor appetite or you might have overeating. You might have insomnia or hypersomnia, which some of you are like, I, I definitely have hypersomnia, right? Like I, I can sleep 20, 20 straight hours on, in, a, you know, in a weekend on a Saturday. The third thing, low energy or fatigue. The fourth thing, low self-esteem. The fifth thing, poor concentration or study or difficulty making decisions. And number six, feelings of hopelessness. And of course, if you add these things to the list of feeling anxious, guilty, unloved, lonely, you can see how depression and mental illness can just be so debilitating and the percentages can go up for so many college students. And so that's what this APA says about the symptoms. But what does the word say? That's what we're here for, is to open the word. So I hope you've made your way to Psalm 77, and we're going to see what are the symptoms of depression. Let's start in verse 1. Verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. I'm just going to kind of stop and, and, and sort of analyze some of these symptoms. So if you're taking notes, you may want to go with me verse by verse and think about this. It's this, it's this anguish of like, God, you feel so far away. God, you feel like I, I've never known you before. 
God, would you help me? Semester after semester, I feel more lonely. I feel more depressed. I feel farther from you. This crying out to God. This is a prayer journal from a believer who's saying, God, I cried out to you. God, hear me. Verse two, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and would not be comforted. I mean, he's not sleeping. He's not being comforted. You get to this place with depression where it's like nothing will help me. It doesn't matter how nice people are. It's when I'm lonely, uh, I want to be with people. When I'm with people, I want to be alone. Uh, when I'm with God, I want to be outside of the church. When I'm not with God, I want to be in the church. Nothing comforts. These are symptoms of depression. Verse three. How about this one? I remembered you, God, and I groaned. Like, I meditated and my spirit grew faint. Like, thinking of God just doesn't even help. Like, this is the place where, where he's getting. Verse four, you kept my eyes from closing. Insomnia, one of my best friends, he, he just told me a few months ago that, that he would, when he's been through a very serious form of depression over the last year, and he would get to a place where he literally was sleeping three to five hours a week because he could not sleep. It, it was, insomnia was happening. You can see it just building. I was too troubled to speak. Like, hey, bro, how are you doing? I'm fine. No, like, last time you told me you were kind of struggling. Yeah, I'm good now. Things are okay. What about, like, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. You're just, like, in your room. We're roommates, and you're just, like, in your room all your time. I'm good. I'm just on my computer. Verse 5, I thought about the former days of the years long ago. How about this? I thought about the good old days, the better days. I remember when I was at camp, and, like, I just felt the intimacy with God. I remember when, when I was last semester leading or when I was worshiping and I just felt it in my spirit and, and those were the better days. These are evidences of depression. I'd encourage you verses one through five just to bracket that in your Bible and write symptoms of depression. One day you may come across this. Write symptoms of depression. One thing that I do in the front of my Bible and in the back of my Bible, you can see it, is I actually have like sort of notes everywhere. And so like, you know, if I'm talking to a friend and they're struggling with depression, there's a, a part in here that says depression, Psalm 77, and then it takes me there. So maybe you want to do that. Maybe God will use you to minister, or maybe one day you'll be depressed and open that up, and it'll bring you there to those five verses, the, the symptoms or the evidence of depression. I want you to just look at some of those things, the symptoms. Think about those things. Have they been in your life? Have you seen them in others' lives? Because apparently 40% of college students feel this way. And this year, three and a half times more people are struggling with depression than any other year in the past. And so that's the symptom. Another question we often have is, is what is the cause? Right? Like, what, what began this? Uh, is it biological? Is it spiritual? Is it poor time management? Is it lack of self-discipline? Is it circumstantial? Is it genetic? Here's, here's something about causes that I, I hope if you're taking notes, you'll write this down. It'll be on the screen on the sides here. It says this, that depression doesn't always have a spiritual cause, but depression is always deeply and profoundly spiritual. That's why we're talking about this tonight, is that it doesn't always have a spiritual cause. And what I mean by that is it's not always because there's sin in your life. It might be, but it's not always because of that. It's not always because there's some sort of massive spiritual issue or struggle or, or lack of intimacy with God. It's not always that, but but depression is always deeply and profoundly a spiritual issue. And depression can be a biological issue, as I already talked about, but it's always spiritual warfare. It's always Satan using depression and brokenness to slow us down, to harm our faith, 
And it's always a worship issue, as we're gonna see. We take our eyes off of God and we put them onto us. That's what depression always does. It's a worship issue. It takes our eyes off of God and onto his kingdom and it puts it onto us and our circumstances. And so what's more important than the cause or the circumstances, uh, the thing that we need to look at is the results, I think, even, as we sort of tee up this conversation tonight, the results of it. Not the cause, not the, the symptoms, but the results. Look back in the text at verse six. We're gonna read the next three verses, and then we're gonna go to the tables for our first time of discussion. I want you to notice uh, sort of these results in his life. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. So the, the first thing that you're gonna see that's, that's a result is, is sort of this self-focus, selfish thinking. That's the first thing. Did you notice my, my, my? Like, I mean, at the very beginning, it's I, verse one, I, verse two, I, verse three. All these things are going through, and then verse six, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated. My spirit asked. So the first thing is, is, is depression just produces. It's a result of, of self-focus, and then verses seven, eight, and nine, what it produces is, is false theology. It produces false theology. So will the Lord, look what he says. Will the Lord reject forever? If you're a believer in this room, you're gonna go, none of these things are true. Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? I mean, if you know Jesus, you know none of that stuff is true, but, but what depression does is it causes us to take our eyes off of God, to look at ourselves and go, I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 and then instantly what it produces is false theology. Will God ever take care of me? Will God ever be faithful? Will God ever help me? It produces both of those things in our life. And the truth is, is this doesn't just apply to depression, this applies to all struggles. So every Christian, every person in this room can look at this and go, man, this is what sin, this is what, when I just take my eyes off of God, what it produces in my life, poor theology. It runs counter to the calling of the believer and, and the sort of sick, twisted part is that this cycle, right? It produces this toxic theology in you. But then that toxic theology becomes a cycle of, well, now I need to, to continue to think about myself, which produces more of that, and it becomes this cycle. And really, it's not just about depression. It's about every form of struggle, every form of, of brokenness, every form of sin. It goes through a cycle like that where the thing that we think will be a balm to our soul is actually the very thing that is causing us to go deeper and de deeper into this cycle. And the good news for us is that even in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, there's this pivot point that's about to happen where, where God starts to give us prescriptions and God starts to give us remedy and, and we get to see these things even in Jesus. But before we get to that, I wanna just have some conversations around the tables right now. So you've got three questions at your table. So table leaders, you can lead through this and we can kind of start to discuss some of these things, look at the word together. I'm gonna give you about eight minutes to do that. The same questions are on the screen behind me that are on your tables right now and table leaders in about eight minutes will come back together and we'll continue in the passage. Discussion questions, part one. Earlier it was said, depression doesn't always have a spiritual cause, but depression is always deeply and profoundly spiritual. What do you think it means that depression is always spiritual, even if it doesn't have a spiritual or sinful cause? Question two. Read 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10 at your table. There are multiple strategies in this passage for the Christian who is struggling in this life, that being all of us. What strategies do you see here, and how might that relate back to a struggle with depression? Question 3. Recent studies show that depression is the most common health problem for college students. 
Is that just the name of the game for college life? Or do you think there's something deeper and spiritual happening here? All right, let's go ahead and bring it back kind of together here as the big group. If you're in the middle of a great discussion, please feel free to to bring that right back up when we get to another time of discussion here in in a few minutes. So uh, if we've already looked to the symptoms and we've looked to the results, if we've talked about the causes of depression, then then really what we're here for, what what we come to the word for are the biblical prescriptions. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I love that Psalm 77 is in the middle of the Bible that book, Psalms, is in the middle of the Bible, but then in the middle of that book is this. It's almost like God is saying, hey, I know you're going to struggle, right? So, so here is, is someone being real about their struggle, real about their symptoms, real about all of these things, and yet, and yet God says, let me give you some prescriptions. And, and as I said earlier, I want you to remember that, that really that this goes beyond. There's an extra biblical aspect here of, of being able to, to um, help and give prescription to depression. There are some times where you do need to go to a doctor and you do need to go to a psychiatrist, to a counselor. That's so important. But what does the word say uh, that we can see are prescriptions? And so I want us to start with, with what won't work first because then we can finish on the good stuff, right? So what's not going to work? And I, I bet that you've experienced this in your life so far. What's not going to work is a word that I want you to write down. It's called escapism. Escapism. Here's what the definition of escapism is. It's on the screen behind me, the tendency to seek distraction and relief from unpleasant realities, especially by seeking entertainment or engaging in fantasy. I mean, social media, Netflix, watching The Office 72 times in a year, (laughs) video games, sports, running, working out. I mean, none of these things are, are bad to begin with necessarily. But, but they're, they're places that we escape to and we go to. And it's not just a thing that we like to check in on, but it's a place where we get ourselves out of reality because reality is unpleasant and we're, we're seeking entertainment and we're engaging in fantasy to distract ourselves, to, re- to have relief from these unpleasant realities. And this year, uh, there was a combined study between Penn State and a university in China which studied social media during the quarantine time, right? Which for some states is still ongoing, but they sort of used that peak time when like the entire nation of America and the nation of China were sort of locked down and they found that there was a direct connection between excessive social media use and depression during the pandemic. A direct connection as they looked at different people who had uh, been quarantined, like basically 99% of America had been. And if quarantine has shown us one thing, it's this, that escapism has been our drug. It's been our drug to mask the symptoms of depression, to mask the symptoms of struggle, and it's, it's exacerbated the issues that were always under the surface, but we were too busy to pay attention to, or we were too busy to do business with, or we were too busy to bring to the altar of God. And when all that happened, and everything went to nothing, no sports, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't do any of these things anymore, it was like, wow. I mean, there are some things we can escape to, but a lot of the things that we were escaping to were going away, and it, it exacerbated the problem. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, 33. People are like, you know, he's experiencing people who are worrying and struggling with, you know, mental health of just anxiety, and, and that brings depression, and that brings heaviness. And Jesus says, chill, like seek first the kingdom of God, and all this other stuff will be added to you. Just seek first the kingdom. Don't escape to all these other worries. Don't escape to all these other heavy, heavy things. Just let, just seek the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. See, escapism is an easy drug 
because it appears to help with the symptoms of depression. But ultimately, it just kicks the, the can. It kicks the can down the road emotionally. It's just a time to just say, I'm just going to, to move on and, and hope that it goes away. Maybe you want to write this down. Escapism makes you busier, but it won't make you better. Escapism is going to make you busier. The more you watch sports, the more you play video games, the more you hang out with your friends, the more involved you get in things, the more you go to your church, the more you do this. You get busier and busier, and emotionally you don't have time to really deal with what's actually happening in your heart, and that doesn't make you better. And if we've learned anything in 2020, we, we've seen that to be true, that those things have come up, those marital issues rise to the surface, the, the faith issues rise to the surface, the mental health issues rise to the surface, the addiction to pornography rises to the surface. You can't just kick the can down the road forever. It'll make you busier, but it won't make you better. And so if that isn't what works, then what does work? Let's look to the word. Let's finish on this positive. What are the biblical prescriptions, the heavenly prescriptions from God? There's good news that he gives to us. So let's pick up the text again. Psalm 77, and we're going to read in verse 10, 10 through 15. And then I thought, notice the pivot, to this I will appeal, the years where the Most High stretched out his right hand. That's a really confusing verse. If, if you don't have uh, the, the NIV, you might have the ESV, and, and they sort of translate that differently, and, and then you're going to have four other different translations. There's a lot of confusion around that verse, but what's clear is that this is the pivot point of the passage. Either verse 10 goes with the first nine verses, or verse 10 goes with the next 10 verses. It, it's the pivot point right here, and it's hard to understand his intent, but everything else after this, you, you'll notice this, this shift in, in what he's saying. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is great, what God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. And with your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. What are some of these biblical prescriptions? And, and here's some, some things I want you to know is that these prescriptions are, mo are both preventative, right? These are things we can look to and we can say, well, how can I live that I can stay away from some of these dark, heavy seasons circumstantially of depression? But also they're reactive, meaning if you're struggling with these things, these same things both prepare you for future seasons and help you in the current struggle. And here's the first thing we can see is that we should lift your eyes. You should lift your eyes off of your life and on to God's kingdom. Lift your eyes off of your life and on to God's kingdom. Fix them onto God. Fix your eyes and your attention onto his purposes. Look at, look at what we just read. Did you, do you remember what it said, uh, and did you notice that how the psalmist takes his eyes off of himself and puts his eyes onto God? Remember, in the first half, he was saying, my, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. And then all of a sudden, in verse 11, it's, I remember your miracles. He's the subject. God's the subject. I remember all your works and meditate on all of your mighty deeds. There's a pivot in what he talks about. And all of a sudden, there's this sort of biblical prescription, this balm for his, for his struggle that, that helps. And did you notice when he did that, his theology got right, right? After he shifts to the you and the your and, and to God's kingdom, look at what he says. If you know God, you know these things are true. God, your ways are holy, what God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. His theology gets right when he takes his eyes off of himself, when he had that false theology. He lifts it up to God. He lifts his worship up to God, and all of a sudden, that, that, changes, that changes everything. Because, see, depression has this powerful pull 
It's this powerful pull to fix our eyes onto ourselves and off of God, as we already talked about. The more that we give into that pull, the harder it is to break free from the depths of depression. And we see when the psalmist breaks free of that, he starts to rightly understand who God is, and it helps him. And this is a huge reason, reason why the local church and its ministries exist, why, why college ministries on your campus exist. It's because our natural self wants to just fix our eyes on ourself on our circumstances, on our struggles, me, 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 my, 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 I, I, I. That's what we all do. We're so like the psalmist. That's why it's right in the middle of the Bible. And yet all of these ministries, CGs, Sunday mornings, these worship times, the times on your campus ministries, whatever it is, it brings you back. It fixes your eyes on God and it writes your theology so that you can rightly understand God and not misunderstand God, we need to refix them onto God because left alone, our eyes drift to ourselves. As I, as I looked across the room when we were worshiping and, and, and it just felt like everyone was just engaged. You know, some of us were raising our hands. Many were on their knees. Many were just, just soaking it in and we were engaged. And it's like, I needed this. When I was in college, I was a Highland student and I sat in this section, you know, in the, in the rows, you know, and I always sat there and, and I can tell you there wasn't a month that went by that I didn't come into this room and just weep during worship because I was going through some deep, dark, personal things, and I would, I would go to people and they would pray for me, or I would just receive ministry from the Holy Spirit, ministry from the worship, from the preaching, and just weep. It was such a healthy, helpful thing to be able to refix my eyes on Jesus. That's why we do things like this, so that we can lift our eyes off of our life and, and lift them back on to God's kingdom. Here's the second thing. Great heaviness must be countered by a great reliance on others. Great heaviness must, must be countered by a great reliance on other. You saw that this shift happened from me to your, to God. This poor theology to right theology in this verse 10, verse 11 moment. And I wonder what changed. Maybe it was a friend who encouraged him. Maybe it was someone who helped him, who sort of bared his burden. Galatians chapter 6, it says that we should bear one another's burden. And that word burden is like a boulder. It's like help them carry something that they cannot carry themselves. When we have a great heaviness like depression... We're tempted to just isolate, especially in a season like COVID. But, but he says, bear one another's burdens. We, we, it's so important to have people in our life who are reminding us of what is true in times of struggle. So if you're not struggling with depression right now, then it's your job to be the person that's reminding them of truth, who's helping them to refix their eyes onto Jesus and onto God. I want you to see this quote. It'll be on the screen. It, it says this, that things simply don't just happen to us. When they do, we respond with immediate interpretation of their meaning and significance. We filter the events through our view of God, others, and ourselves that we have been developing for our entire lives. Go ahead and go to the next slide. There's a, there's a diagram that I want you to see. This diagram sort of shows us what it looks like to be able uh, to, to have this depression, but then you have these sort of outside events and these internal beliefs. Look, I, I'm kind of still in the picture, sorry. All right, so, um, uh, so you've got these outside events at the top, things that are outside of our control, the struggles, the issues, some of these biological things or pandemics or, or my girlfriend broke up with me or whatever it is. But then see, look, internal beliefs happen. And these interpretations of the events happen. And things that we can change, things that come out of us, uh, they're equal in this equation. 
And that's what produces depression. And it's why it's so important that we need other people in our lives because left on our own, when we're experiencing these heavy things from the outside, our heart instantly goes to, to, false, to false theology. It instantly goes and internalizes those things into selfish ways. But we need other people to help us interpret them through what is true and what is right so that then we can, we can receive ministry from others, receive ministry from the Spirit, and we can at least refix our eyes onto God. How many of you guys grew up, you know, knowing who Mr. Rogers was? Anybody in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? How many of you have seen one of the movies or documentaries or whatever in the last couple years? Uh, a few years ago, I was preaching on this exact uh, passage. I was preaching on this exact subject, and I was preparing because it's such a reoccurring thing in our ministry. And as I was preparing for it, one of those documentaries came out, and I remember being in the theater with my wife and two of our close friends, and this scene came on, and it was between Lady Aberlin and Daniel the Tiger. Go ahead and throw up the image for me there. It's going to be up there on the screen just a minute. You remember these two, right? Okay. He's a little tiger puppet and she's like this really fancy, you know, schmancy lady person that sings and they sing songs together. Okay. And, and it's kind of funny, right? And I remember just thinking like, this is hilarious, like a little tiger puppet. And all of a sudden, as they sang this song together in the movie theater, like a total loser, I started just crying and weeping my eyes. And it just, I was just weeping. I was just like, Lord, this is such a, a scene of what it means to bear one another's burdens. And, and there's a three-minute video that we're about to watch, and I think it's important, and I want you to get over the funniness of Daniel Tiger singing a song, okay? Just go ahead right now, get it out of your system. Because there's so much depth to what Mr. Rogers is trying to teach us in this video, and it's so biblical. Here's what he's trying to teach us. The first verse, you're gonna hear Daniel Tiger sing. And Daniel Tiger, he's struggling. He's struggling with depression. He's struggling with misunderstanding what's true about himself. And then the second verse, Lady Aberlin, she's gonna sing encouragement over his life. And you'd think the third verse is gonna be them singing this beautiful duet, duet, and it's like, now I understand who I am. But instead, Lady Aberlin keeps singing the encouragement, and Daniel Tiger keeps singing the struggle. And it's this beautiful layering of what it looks like to walk with someone through struggle. Let's watch this video just a few minutes together, and then we'll wrap up this discussion. Sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake, I'm not like anyone else I know. When I'm asleep or even awake, sometimes I get to dreaming that I'm just a fake. I'm not like anyone else. Others I know are big and are wild. I'm very small and quite tame. Most of the time, I'm weak and I'm mild. Do you suppose that's a shame? Oh, no. Often I wonder if I'm a mistake. I'm not supposed to be scared, am I? Sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake. Wondering, isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not like anyone else I know. I'm not like anyone else. I think you are just fine as you are. I really must tell you I do like the person that you are becoming when you are sleeping when you are waking you are my friend it's really 
or shaking or dreaming or breaking there's no one mistaking it you're my best friend i wonder if i are must just fine as you are i'm not like anyone I really else must i tell you i do Most of the time I'm weak and I'm lying. Do you suppose that's a shame? I wonder if I'm just fine as you are. I'm not supposed to be scared. Sometimes I cry and sometimes I shake. Wondering, isn't it true that the strong never break? I'm not lying. Just fine, exactly the way you are. Okay, if you're not crying, then you need to pray, all right? So <laughs> I just remember being like, God, that is what it looks like to bear someone's burdens. Like we think it's gonna be this beautiful thing where I step in and ministry happens and their life is turned around and it's this beautiful moment. But, but so many times it's just singing encouragement over one another. It's saying, I'm for you, I'm with you. God loves you, this is who you are while they struggle. And we need those people in our lives don't be discouraged, but just continue to encourage. Here's the last and final thing, and then we'll go to the tables as we wrap up the evening. The last thing is this, is we should remember who God is and what he has done. Remember who God is and what he has done. Let's finish the passage, verse 16. He starts to remember what happened. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. He's talking about when the Israelites, remember when they were backs against the sea and the Egyptian army was coming to them and what happened? God split the water in half in Exodus and he let them walk through and then he brought the waters back down upon the enemy. Verse 17, the clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning, it lit up the world. The earth trembled and Waked, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and of Aaron. When everything seemed lost to the Israelites with their backs against the Red Sea, God made a way. And here we are hundreds of years later, and someone who's struggling with depression is remembering the faithfulness of God to their great, 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 great grandparents and its, and its ministry to their heart. Because see, praise is a, is a prescription. Praise is a prescription for the darkness that's weighing the psalmist down. And for us, it's why it's so important to come back to these things. It's, you know, when we sing that song, this is how I fight my battles, right? It may look like I'm surrounded, but, but Lord, I'm surrounded by you. I fight my battles with the weapons of praise. This is what the psalmist is doing. They remember who God is. And it's, it's a reminder to the psalmist that God will never forsake us, will never give up on us. And he will, even when everything seems lost, even when you're at the Red Sea, even when you're at the darkest moment of your life, even when you're caught in the most sin, he didn't even have the privilege like we have of knowing Jesus and knowing the gospel and knowing what's ultimately true about God and about Jesus and about 
about the way of redemption and the way of grace. And for us, we can look back and we can remember that God, even in my darkest moments, Lord, there was grace for me. From the beginning of time, that's what we read in 2 Timothy at the beginning of this gathering, from the beginning of time, the plan was grace. Jesus is our reminder. And the thing that I'll just leave you with as we go to the tables is I, I love that when you look to the word, God doesn't just tell you to do things, he shows you how to do them. He always shows you. When Jesus says, submit yourself, humble yourself, he says, do it, I'm gonna show you how to do it. When he says, walk holy, he says, do it, I'm gonna show you how to do it. And even here, like God doesn't just tell us to endure. God doesn't just tell us to push through the difficult times and to bear one another's burdens and to fix our eyes off of ourselves. And onto, but God shows us how to endure. I want you to see this next slide that's gonna come up. Look at these different texts. You may wanna write some of these down. Second Peter 3, 9. It says that God is patient. He endures us, right? He endures with us when, we, when, we're, when we're hard to love, when we're hard uh, to, to be with, when we're hard to minister to, when we're hard to be in his family. He is patient towards us. Psalm 69, 7, endured scorn for our sake. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, Christ had a, has a whole life of perseverance. Hebrews 12, 2, Christ endured the cross. And, and, and just you can see at the bottom here, it says, just as we love because he first loved us, we persevere because he persevered for us. And so we can look to the word. We can remember these things. We can sing of these things. God, you're faithful. God, I lift up your holiness of your name. And, and it's, this, it's this ministry to us because it reminds us that God has not only called us to these things, but he's shown us what it looks like to endure and what it looks like to, to fix our eyes on the kingdom of God in the darkest and hardest of times. So let's go to this last section of discussion. We're gonna have about seven or eight minutes and then we're gonna wrap up in a song together and then we're gonna close out and head out. So the table leaders, go ahead and take over now with part two of the discussion time. Discussion questions, part two. Question one, embracing Christ fully causes every other thing and circumstance to lose its value. The grip that good seasons or bad seasons have on our life loosens as we hold more tightly onto Christ. Read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. How do you think it relates back to our conversation about depression today? Question 2. Escapism is an easy drug that appears to help with the symptoms of depression, but in the end, it just kicks the can down the road emotionally. When you are tempted to escape heaviness or the weightiness of this world, what do you turn to? What calls out for your attention or agenda that makes you busier, but doesn't make you better? Question three, bearing one another's burdens isn't simply just praying for them. It's saying your burden now becomes my burden too. Read Hebrews chapter 13, verse three. How do you think this command helps us to bear one another's burdens more faithfully? So you guys, I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know if you um, felt too scared to go out and get prayer tonight, if you're on a mountaintop and you've never been feeling better with the Lord, but I just wanna encourage you and remind you, and I was sitting out there singing, just thinking about the fact that we are in community right now singing for a reason. God wanted us to gather together in a community because there are times when we aren't able to sing for ourselves. There are times when life is just hard. There's a lot of hard stuff going on and we can't sing to God. We can't do it, we can't open up our mouths. But that's the beauty of community and gathering in a place like this and sharing your burdens with others because there's people around you who can sing for you in those times that you can't sing for yourself, reminding you that God is good and that he loves you. 
And honestly, that is the calling of every single Christian, but especially all of us on the college staff, is we wanna be there for you. We wanna sing over you in the times when you can't sing. Because um, I know that I've been there in those situations too, and I just wanna remind you that we are always here for you. If you um, didn't have the courage to go talk to someone, I understand it's scary. So if you wanna find us after and talk to us, find me, find Drew, find anyone else, or just reach out to us over text, we're here for you guys.